Hello and welcome to the e-commerce playbook podcast. My name is Andrew Ferris. I have the great pleasure of running 4x400, a holding company that acquires, operates, and grows e-commerce brands, D2C brands. And this week we are talking, we're back in the story after a a few weeks break, uh, back in the story of 31 Bits, one of our most recent acquisitions, a jewelry brand with this big ethical component. If you haven't been following the journey so far, go back, listen to the start at the beginning of the episodes labeled season two. And check out uh, where we're going from the acquisition of 31 bits to trying to prove viability for this brand in the 4400 ecosystem. It has been a struggle. We have not been able to get where we wanted to get as soon as we wanted to get there. Um, and this week we are taking a whole nother pass with we've got a little bit of reason success, just a little bit, some signs of life. Um, but this week, we're, I'm telling you about how um, we are m- making more and new changes to get the brand to where it needs to go. And those changes center in part on talking less about our impact in the world and more about how great our jewelry is. Well, we are back in the 31-bit story. We took a few weeks away, partly because we we're just kind of in the midst of this rebuilding, uh, addressing these same problems we've been talking about for a while kind of thing. Uh, so there wasn't a ton to update you with, and there was some other stuff I really wanted to update you with. I really wanted to do that episode uh, with Taylor about discounting, and I saw some good responses to that, which I really appreciated. I also um, I also really wanted to talk about Modern Fuel and our acquisition there. Um, I'm going to have a lot more to say about Modern Fuel in the future. In some ways, it sort of would have been a better pick for this podcast um, because it just is kind of a rocket ship. Like I'm, we've had ads live for two weeks and, um, we are already hitting metrics that are, yeah, we're, we're basically, I'll say a lot more about this in the future, but, um, just right away, thanks to, um, Dave, who you heard from in the last podcast and his team, uh, Sadie Lewandowski, our designer, Vince, our ads guy. Like I just, the whole team has just done an unbelievable job with that brand. Um, and I, I don't want to leave anybody out, but, um, it's been really cool to see that brand has taken off very fast and, um, and probably the fastest success of any brand we have. So I'll for sure talk about that more in the future, but I wanted to come back around to 31 bits and kind of talk to you about where we're at there because I think it's, um, it's still pretty helpful. In some ways, the modern fuel story wouldn't be that good for a podcast because we hit success fast enough that it's sort of like the, we haven't had to work through the problems in the same way. 31 Bits continues to be a challenge in that regard. We are still sitting in our ad account. Now we're moving, inching more towards like a 1.3-ish at a consistent level, um, but that's uh, uh, 1.3-ish ROAS. Uh, that's just not not at any scale and not where we need to be. So um, it's just not, it just hasn't gotten there yet. There are some some more signs of life here. Um, we've gotten some more products back in stock this week. I think that is a really big deal for us, just making sure the inventory is right. And so we're getting a feel for that now, which is good. Um, so uh, so one really encouraging metric to me is that in the last seven days, uh, while recording this, um, the last seven days, we've been at about a dollar revenue per click. I've been talking about RPC, revenue per click, a lot on this podcast as I talk about the 31 bits journey. And um, and that's because it's the key metric. And it's interesting, if, if you hear us talk about um, how we approach acquiring brands, sort of validating the, vol- the revenue before we acquire the brand, validating the revenue per click is a huge part of it. We, we really wanna make sure that we can 
have some validation in advance that somebody wants this product. Well, 31 bits for years had an RPC of at or under a dollar with very little advertising. And so um, that actually wasn't a great sign. Now we liked a lot of the rest of the brand. We think there's some magic in the brand. We like the margin of the brand. We love the value to weight ratio on shipping, all this stuff you've heard us talk about a lot. Um, and it has been doing, it has done historically more pure volume than some of our other brands, um, be, you know, even without really any advertising. So it had done a few hundred thousand dollars and, and even more than that, you know, a few years before. So there's, there's some really good signs that even though the RPC wasn't quite where we wanted it, there were some other signs that maybe we were somewhere and with some fixing, we could do that. So we knew in advance that we were going to have this problem to solve of validating that enough people would want to buy the product at enough of an AOV to be able to uh, get some scale and some growth uh, as we made some fixes to things like advertising, storytelling, and, and all of that. Well, that has just taken longer than I expected. I, I really thought we would be able to solve that a little bit sooner. Um, and and it, in some respects, we've been down this road before. Like if, if I would have been recording this podcast when we were launching Bamboo Earth, we would have had the same thing for a few months in a row of just not being able to break through to a spend and a return that we really wanted. And then and then we hit um, as we realized a few things and and it worked. And, and so so Slick, you know, was a slow growth. And now we've really kind of taken Slick to another place. Modern Fuel, in that respect, is the exception. And even FC Goods hit fairly fast. Um, so I, 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 I'm not super discouraged here. I still am optimistic and we're not very far away yet from, from where we need to be. Uh, like I said, last seven days, a $1 RPC is a real step forward. Um, especially when so much of our traffic is still in the top of the funnel, a dollar RPC represents a step forward from the 75 ish cent RPC we were dealing with in September, um, or less. And even on sort of, if you just look channel by channel, you'd see that our, um, RPC has grown from about 60 cents on paid social to about 80 cents. And so, um, uh, from September to now, so that those are really, really positive and encouraging signs. It means we're moving in some way in the right direction, but we nonetheless, are just not there yet. And while I expect holiday to be good for 31 bits for a lot of reasons, um, I, I think there are some other concerns. So, um, so let me tell you about a couple things that we're doing right now. And then what I actually really want to talk about is a conversation I had with some really smart um, uh, gals who are in this world. Um, and these women are just, um, yeah, they had, they had some very interesting thoughts on bits. So, so let me start with just kind of the next couple steps. So what we've done most recently is continued to play with offers. You've heard me talk about this so much, um, and that's good. Like, I, I want to reinforce all the time that that changing the offer really matters in terms of changing the performance. So, um, so we have played with a lot of different stuff here. We did, uh, I think it was fifteen dollars off for any orders over seventy dollars. We've now we've tried uh, or, uh, ten dollars off for any orders over fifty. I think those are the offers. I don't remember exactly, but those kind of structures, um, basically trying to push up the AOV and the conversion rate at the same time by offering a better price as you order more stuff. Of course, then you save on shipping. We can do that without really losing any margin because um, as a percentage, when you ship multiple items together, you really save. That second pick on an order with your 3PL that goes into shipping there um, is just much cheaper than the first one because you're paying a flat fee both in terms of typically the first, um, you know, service fee for your 3PL on, on, um, on, uh, on your first pick of any product that goes into an order, um, you're also typically paying kind of a flat fee to start to your actual carrier. Uh, so basically, fulfillment gets a lot cheaper as you add a second uh, per unit. It gets a lot cheaper as a percentage as you um, as you add. Um, 
items to any order. And this is fairly common knowledge. And so we, we were trying to really push on um, being able to leverage, basically move people into multiple products, give, give customers a good offer on the product, and see if we could kind of find a mechanism there that really moves, um, even relative to the product sets that we're selling, um, that would really move the customers to, uh, to, to move their RPC up. That seems to have helped a little as we've come to a more recent order, but um, maybe not as much as we would want still. Definitely not as much as we would want still. And then also you would end up with, uh, and then also we've restocked some products, which is good. And so that seems to have helped as well, for sure. But in the midst of that now, um, we've got a couple other things. We're kind of getting away from really messing with the offer because I think what's clear at this point to us is that right now we have might have a more fundamental product problem and making sure that people love the product. There's kind of two ways to do this. One of them is creating love for the product via marketing. And the other one is um, putting up a product that people sort of naturally respond to maybe by being on trend or etc. Those There's kind of both of those things. You create it and you also respond to the reality of it. You don't have to choose, you should do both. That's the task of marketing. Respond to what's going on with trends, create, um, create interest in the product by doing a great job marketing. So um, on the responding to trends note, we have a bunch of new products coming in in November, a whole new line. Uh, we are moving more and more away from Uganda jewelry. Now we're starting to bury it more in the website. Um, I'll talk more about that in a second. We're starting to bury that beaded, colorful um, jewelry on the website, and now really, really moving more towards our metal jewelry um, that's uh, that's a little bit more premium, a little bit more on trend. So the idea there is to respond to the trend. We already we knew coming in that, that was going to be an issue that we had to deal with. This was core to the 31 bits challenge was that um, customers just weren't responding to the paper bead jewelry the way they used to when they started the brand. We've talked about that as well. So there's responding trend. On the other hand, there's making people believe and 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 see the um, the uh, creating intent is what I'm saying. Creating intent, not just responding to intent. Um, and so we're doing a few things there. For one, we are changing up our PDP. Again, I'm gonna talk more about that in a second. Another thing we're doing is like our product photography really needed to refresh the 31 Bits founders when they sold us the business. They, they were so happy we were planning on doing that. That's coming up very soon. We're also shooting more lifestyle photography uh, to try to supplement those sorts of things. We're changing up a couple other landing page type things to um, move away from just collection pages and more towards like a lookbook style landing page where customers can look at a few different things they might have seen in an ad at once um, with a combo of lifestyle photography, more beautiful stuff. And in all of those things, um, what we are doing actually is not only trying to make sure we present the product in a more premium, more beautiful way with better product photography, yeah, burying the stuff that's a little less on trend, those sorts of things, um, but we are responding in part to, um, oh, and we're, we're trying to also collect more UGC, maybe from some influencer types, um, get our Instagram feeds on product pages so that customers are seeing how people are wearing, how customers, who is wearing this jewelry and how they're wearing it, what they're pairing it with, what kind of outfits um, they're pairing it with uh, or their, uh, the jewelry is fitting into. Um, again, to just kind of make this brand feel a little more lived in uh, than just um, kind of a random e-commerce brand. We don't have a ton of reviews, so trying to source more of those. Uh, again, just sort of signal to people this is a brand that you can and should like. Um, but in the midst of all of that, let me tell you about this conversation I had and, and how that this is informing some of what we're doing. Taylor and I, one night, sat at dinner um, uh, across the table from a couple gals from a really cool um, agency, a small shop in Orange County called Milked Media. Um, they are growing fast. It is two women who are really smart, creative director, and um, and 
a, um, uh, like a, a strategy lead. And the two of them um, only service um, really mostly, I think all female entrepreneurs and really female focused brands. And they've found this niche there. They've spent a lot of time between the two of them in sort of fashion world and all that. And they're trying to bring that kind of sort of D to C strategic thinking to lots of female focused brands and to female founders. It's really cool. Um, if you're a female founder listening to the, uh, and you're in that space, listening to this, I have no problem. Like I, I totally think you should go check out CTC, our agency, but I, milk media, these, these guys are smart and, um, and, and you, you may want to talk to them as well. And we sat and had this conversation with these, um, with these women. And, um, and, and Taylor just brought up that we were struggling with 31 Bits. Uh, and 31 Bits is actually kind of the starting place for this relationship with them. They had reached out to us um, and to the brand. And uh, so we asked them, hey, what would you do with this brand? If we gave it to you to run, what would you do with it? Tell me how you would respond to it. And a couple things happened right away in this conversation that were super interesting because these, gal- these women have so much um, experience in this space and, uh, and just live in this world, right? So they said a couple things right away. First of all, one of the things we noticed was that they went, both of them went straight to Instagram. They did not go to the website to go check out 31 bits. They went straight to the 31 bits Instagram page. Um, and I, I thought that was immediately interesting. Like that is not how I browse or how I shop. Um, but without being told or asked, that's, that's the first thing they did. They didn't go to the website. They went to the Instagram feed. Um, secondly, they both responded by saying, uh, they, they both had comments about some of the jewelry, whether or not it was on trend in particular, the Uganda jewelry. They both saw that as, as immediately signaling a brand that was not for them. Um, they said like, like, uh, this is just not the kind of jewelry I'd be into. Now that meant that they, they looked at a lot of metal jewelry on the, on the Instagram feed at the same time as they looked at, um, as the Uganda jewelry. But what really stood out to them was the stuff that they did not like. Okay. From, from the Uganda, uh, collections. And then, uh, from there, the other thing that they said was, um, even in the bio for 30, for the, uh, 31 bits Instagram, there was a note about, um, uh, the, the bio read something about, you know, we employ artisans, um, across the world by, you know, selling, uh, uh, jewelry. Essentially it led with the artisans and with the ethical mission and the jewelry was secondary to that. And they both noted that too. They both said, it really seems like jewelry is not the first thing here. It seems like you guys, like jewelry is an afterthought to the ethical mission. And in some ways that's actually sort of true to the 31 bits story that really jewelry was the way to accomplish what they wanted to accomplish in the world. Um, but for somebody new to the brand, that was sort of off-putting to them because it felt like, oh, the jewelry is secondary. And so do I really care about this? Um, and it was just really interesting sitting and talking to these women um, because it gave me this subjective experience from um, somebody who's thinking through it both from a professional standpoint and from a customer standpoint, trying to like just watching them interact with the brand and then give us their feedback on that. And um, and I just think there's sometimes no substitute for that. You know, we don't have hot jar on the side. Maybe we need to consider that. But even that, it's like just talking to people can yield these subjective insights in ways that are really, really helpful. And they won't, I mean, you'll measure whether or not what they said was true as you implement it and measure 
measure the objective data in response to, you know, when you make a change, see what it does to the conversion rate and all that stuff. But um, objective data doesn't tell you how to fix the problem. It typically just tells you whether or not the problem exists and uh, where the problem is. Subjective data often is going to be the source of like uh, thinking through creative ideas and hypothesizing and, and how to respond to things. I said this the other day, um, but, but it's just that, yeah, data mostly doesn't solve problems. It just tells you where they are a lot of times. Okay. So, um, so what we started doing was going, wait a minute, we need to actually go the other direction from where we went when we started with this brand, which was we need to maybe actually downplay the ethical story a little bit and play up instead how great this jewelry is as the starting point. And that's so obvious when you think about it. I mean, like, make the product the hero and make the customer the hero. Like, those are the two clear things. Like, like every marketer should know that. Like, th that's, that's where you should be focusing. But we just were all over the place on this. And I think because partly the ethical story, in, in our view, is very compelling and so legitimate and so authentic that we wanted to tell that well. Um, and, uh, and, of course, the Uganda um, story had been so crucial to the previous development of the brand but what but that but by having the uganda jewelry there if it's not on trend anymore which again we all kind of recognize that then in that case for somebody who is totally new to the brand the uganda jewelry actually um, is going to be off-putting instead of uh, a continuation of a story that's been told before so um, so if we actually want to acquire a lot of new customers, we actually do need to lead with the stuff that people are going to love a little bit more now and then do a much better job of presenting it as what it is. So what we are doing now is continuing to divest and downplay the Uganda jewelry more and more and more. Um, we may start really moving towards a full clearance and maybe we may even fully take some of it off the site um, if it comes to a point where we think that's the most helpful thing, because it, it may be actually negatively impacting the, the, um, the total uh, 31 bits experience for some customers. Just telling them, just telling customers, this is not a brand that is, um, that, that is for you. Um, and, and increasing not only our, our um, presentation and sort of the prominence of the metal jewelry, but also making sure that the metal jewelry is presented more beautifully and presented as this, um, as, as being great quality jewelry, which it is. So, um, so focusing little less on the storytelling elements uh, around the ethical story. Now, the ethical story is important, but I went and looked at a few brands that have a com significant ethical component to what they're doing. And it is interesting because they are all, in some ways, um, uh, reducing their focus on that and focusing instead on the product. So Diff Eyewear, which gives away a pair of glasses for every pair of sunglasses they sell. Um, I remember they're a former client of mine. I remember talking to their founders and saying like they, they started this, that this was important to them to do some good in the world. They also thought it would help them build a great brand. Um, but that, but that after not very long, they realized that they needed to tell the ethical story less uh, because while some people cared about it and it made people feel good after they shopped, uh, it wasn't the main thing. What people cared about was, do I like these sunglasses or not? So if you go to Diff Eyewear, if you go to their website, you'll see there's just, um, it's, you know, the, the ethical storytelling is much, uh, is, is, is uh, reduced relative to here's how beautiful the product is. Um, we looked at uh, we looked at Tom's, of course, um, and Tom's has really, really significantly reduced the way that they tell the story around um, their charitable component. It's um, it's sort of fascinating. They you know Tom's famously famously was a buy one give one brand, but they've really really reduced their focus on that. Obviously, they've gone through lots of big changes at Tom's. Um, 
And, uh, and yeah, and so we looked at a couple of other uh, brands like that and just decided like we need to be a lot better about thinking through how we present this story. I, I think I've mentioned before on here, there's a book that I haven't read, but that I've heard an interview with the author called The Myth of the Ethical Consumer. I think, or maybe the myth of the ethical shopper. But the basic idea is that people are buying for themselves. They are not buying for somebody else. Like even when they're buying a gift, they're buying the gift to make themselves feel good about the gift they buy or to make the person they're giving it to feel good about the product. They're not buying um, in any of these scenarios primarily to do good in the world. So ethical storytelling has to be a commitment regardless. And this is this is the thing. Uh, this is a really important point, actually. 31 bits is not reliant on the customer even knowing they're supporting um, uh, development work in the world to do great development work in the world. By not telling the story as strongly, it turns out it doesn't affect our ability to do good in the world at all. We can do just, in fact, if we are able to sell more stuff to customers at a higher margin and a higher profit, we can actually do more good in the world, perhaps by not telling customers as much about how much good we are doing. Um, and that's a sort of interesting thing to think about sort of, is this, um, you know, if we're really committed to doing good for the sake of doing good, because it's the right thing to do, not because it's a utilitarian way to sell more jewelry, then uh, then that's what we should focus on. We should focus on how do we do the most good. And so then this the, the question of where to put this is not a question of ethics versus non-ethics. It's a question of how do you maximize the value of the brand so you can also maximize the impact. And uh, and that's actually a freeing place to be because it allows, you know, at first I felt a little dirty about the idea of reducing the, the storytelling around some of this stuff. So, um, so that's where we're at. In the next couple of weeks, we are having shoots. Um, we are uh, rolling out new designs. We've got new email templates coming. We've got all kinds of stuff. We're going to figure out the best way to put the ethical kind of component of this in. We've had some forward movement. We're restocking products. Uh, we will see, but we are really getting to game time here to where we're rolling into November. We're about to find out how much uh, value we can create in 31 bits, uh, how many problems we can solve. And the hope is that this new approach is going to solve them. All right, there you have it. We... Um we need to figure this out. Like I said, kind of at the end there, uh, it, we're getting we're getting to game time here. We're getting to a point where we've got to figure out whether or not we can make this brand work. Um, I'm really anxious to see what happens as we do bring in new product, new designs, new photography, like I said, uh, all this stuff to see kind of where that takes us. I'm, uh, I'm always optimistic. I think it would be really hard to be in this job and to not be optimistic about the next changes you're going to make. Um, but... Uh, but who knows? Who knows? We will see. You are hearing about it in real time with me. So um, Dave and his team, I think, are doing a great job. They're, they're cycling through ideas so fast. Um, I'm really impressed. So um, Dave, Krista, our designer, just, just doing an awesome job. Um, trying one thing after another after another until we find what works. And that's kind of all you can do. You just have to keep doing that. Uh, the more experience you have, the better you're thinking about problems, the better your next idea will be uh, to try. So that's the goal right now. Uh, thanks, as always, for listening. Please do rate and review us. And if you have um, any questions, I would love to hear them. You can email me at podcast at 4x400.com. That's podcast at 4x400.com. Or reach out to me on Twitter at Andrew J. Ferris. That's F-A-R-I-S. Thanks very much. Thanks very much.